You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Welcome to everybody. We're so glad that you're here. If you're jumping in with us, you can turn with us to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going through the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus actually this year. And those three books are called the Pastoral Letters means that he is giving a word of how do you build the church? How do you put this thing together called church? So he's speaking to Timothy, Paul is, who is the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And he's going to give us today some words about the offices of the church of deacon and elder. And so I don't want this to just be a seminary class on ecclesiology of the church, okay? I want this to be something we all jump into. Even my first point in just a minute is going to be we're all in this together. Now, some of us are going to have different titles, but we know that we don't need a title to make a difference for the Lord and to let God do His work in us. So, But we have a rich history here in our church. Our church was formed over 180 years ago. It was 1841. Can you believe it? We predated Texas being a part of the United States by four years. So that's amazing. We were our own country back then when we were formed. Now, no comments on whether you think we should do that again. I'm just saying that's where we were, all right? Now, what happened is there was a guy named James Huckins. He was kind of our second pastor, and he came to really incorporate the church. He did work in Galveston and in Houston. And here's what happened. Here's the words. April 10th, 1841, four men and nine women came together, and they decided to form a church. Now, maybe four of those women were married to those four men, okay? That's probably how it worked. But we had four men and nine women. And that same day that we started our church, Three new members joined, and they were all women. So we had 12 women and four men. Single guys, can you think of a better ratio than to come to church, right? Three to one. Ladies, don't be discouraged. It's okay. Now, so we got this together with 16 folks on day one. We've got 12 women and four men, and we elect one person on that day that he's going to be the deacon in the church, Brothers S.P. Andrews was elected to serve, this is a quote, as deacon. And then our church also elected the pastor to serve as elder. So what we'll see here in just a second, at the very first day of our church coming together, we've got a deacon, we've got an elder, we got men and women, we got the Bible, we're going to make a difference. It's awesome. I love that this, this seed from the very beginning is exactly what we're going to read here in this place. Let me show you a picture of Elder Huckins. His name's James Huckins. Elder Huckins. He could preach a mean sermon, I bet, don't you think? He looks kind of mad at us, but I'm sure he was a nice guy. They said he was very prepared, very intelligent guy. So that's Elder Huckins. Uh, we actually called our first five pastors, we're called Elder, Okay. So instead of pastor so-and-so, it was elder so-and-so, our first five pastors, till one of them ended up with a doctorate and it started changing at that point. So our first pastors were called elder. This is Elder Huckins. That's what our past looks like. Let me show you what our present and future looks like. Oh, yeah. That's where we are today, all right? That's where we're going. All right. Now... Let's look into the scriptures and let's see this thing in chapter three of 1 Timothy. And we're gonna hear about elders and deacons, but I'm gonna read one verse and then I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna give all of us something, okay? So in this moment, here we go, verse one. 
This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. Let's just stop right there real quick. Now, we'll keep on moving, but here's your point. Aspirations of gospel impact are encouraged for all. It's a noble effort. Now, it's not saying that everybody's a pastor. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to do is that the very beginning to end up, well, we don't end up with varsity and JV. Every one of us is gonna make a difference for Christ. We've got hundreds of staff and deacons all together. That's great. But we need thousands of us in a noble effort making a difference for Christ. Now, that verse is particularly about overseers. I'll tell you about that in a minute, but I want you to know you're a part of the kingdom of God. You're a part of what God's doing. It's a noble effort for all of us to be a part. You don't need a title to make a difference for Jesus. You don't need a title to make a difference for Jesus. We need every single one of us. Think of the woman at the well. Think of the woman who gave her last mites the widow uh, with her mites. Think of the little boy with bread that gave it for the feeding of the 5,000. Think of the man that gave his donkey to Jesus to be able to, to take uh, Jesus a little bit further on the path. Think about Esther preventing a genocide of God's people, the Virgin Mary surrendering, surrendering to God's will. Think about David and Jeremiah and all those folks. They were, they were prophets. They had titles in the Old Testament and king with David, but we don't need all those things. God can use all of us to make a difference. Priscilla's commitment to God, Lydia's faith, Lois and Eunice were the grandmother and the mother of Timothy that we're hearing about here. So God can use all of us to make a huge difference. Offices in the church are about character and service, but they're not about celebrity and status. It's about us being able to all be walking in the ways of the Lord. Let me just show you uh, or tell you a little bit of a story. There's a, a couple, um, she's gone on to heaven now. She's with the Lord, but her husband is still in our church at our Siena campus, probably worked today in our parking lot. That's where he works. That's where he serves. He's a deacon in our church. She was a deacon's wife. Let me show you their picture. This is Sandy and Ed O'Brien. Sweet people, sweet people. Sandy's in heaven now. Let me tell you about Sandy. They joined our church as a couple. They joined our church in 1964. Can we just give a cheer for that? That's amazing. 1964. So that's like 60 years almost of being a part of our church. Sandy taught for 21 years. She taught reading at the Darrington State Prison. This small little lady went to the Darrington State Prison to minister to people, and she received the Teacher of the Year Award several times and developed a reading laboratory there. So I just tell you this, you don't need a title. You don't need to be big. You don't need to be strong. God can use anyone in the body of Christ, and God wants to use everyone. But he's going to give us some specifics here, some thoughts about the character, about two offices of leadership, Okay. Now, different churches do it different ways. I'll tell you how we do it, but we'll read in the Bible and you'll see that we're doing it connected to that, but different churches do it in different ways. But let's look, if we can, in verse one through seven, and this is about overseers. Now, overseers, it's the same people as other places you'll see pastor, other places you'll see shepherd, you'll see bishop, all of these things, the same person, this person's giving the, the leadership to the church and oversight to the church and teaching in the church. Here we go, verse one and following. This is a saying trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, we would say pastor is what we would say in our context, same thing. Therefore must be above reproach, 
the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Remember last week when we talked about teaching, able to teach. This phrase is not given to deacons, only given to elders. And not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household completely, competently, and having his children under the control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? Again, the connection between God's house and our house. We talked about that a little bit last week. He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into, the, fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Okay, pastors, deacons, and everyone can make a gospel impact. Pastors, though, express Jesus as teacher and leader. They are servant leaders. We've heard that phrase before. Now, we all want to shine with Jesus, and I'll give that for elders, I'll give that for pastors, or for um, deacons, and for everyone. Pastors express Jesus as teacher and leader. When we use the phrases around here, elder, we don't have an elder board, but we do have pastors, we have ministerial staff, and that's how it functions typically in Baptist churches. And so the pastor is to express Jesus as the teacher, able to teach, not found with deacons. Now, with this... We see that this word, this Greek word, originally came from a secular phrase, and it meant this, to referring to the foreman of the construction gang. So this guy's going to lead the building of the church. It's taken from a building, like a building building, but building of lives, building of the church. What's the vision? What's taking place? Now, let me just just give you, I know if you're like, man, this, I don't know if I'm going to like this message. I'm going to make it even more boring. I'm going to read out of the bylaws of the church, okay? So here we go. The primary role of the senior pastor is to lead the church. The senior pastor of the church shall be and is regarded and recognized as the under-shepherd of Christ, performing a spiritual ministry to the spiritual body in this place and the chief executive and administrative officer of this church pertaining to its spiritual ministry and programs and business, da, 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 and on it goes further and further. To be able to say, so there's a leadership aspect that's happening and there's a teaching aspect that's happening. Now, this connects back to the Old Testament. Do you remember in Numbers chapter 11 when Moses had too much work to do, too many things to judge? This is what he said in verse 16. Bring to me seven men from Israel known to you as elders and officers of the people. So each synagogue had an elder, and then we end up with apostles that come, and then we end up with the churches where Paul says, I want you to plant elders in every church. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, he greets the deacons and the elders, the bishops is what he uses there, but same thing. So we've got this leadership aspect of able to teach in that place. We see it in other places in Paul. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it with the apostles, and then we see it with the pastors of the early churches that are around that they're planting in the New Testament days. So pastors express Jesus as teacher and as leader. Now, deacons. Deacons express Jesus as a servant. Deacons express Jesus as a servant. We'll read that in just a second. But this expression now, it's not as a teacher, because able to teach is not placed on them. It's not an oversight leadership. It's in a servant capacity that is that. Here's how you could say it. The pastors should be servant leaders, and the deacons should be lead servants. So I'm going to give you spiritual bread, but the deacons are going to give you physical bread, okay? 
and to be able to walk out in that. So what's it say about our deacon body and good old bylaws? Here's what it says. It shall be the duty of the deacon body to act as general assistance of the senior pastor as aiding him in the discharge of such his pastoral duties as they can to visit the sick, the needy of the church, render such aid on the part of the church as possible to always be ready and willing and heartily cooperate with the senior pastor to give him the benefit of their advice, information, services, and conduct, and all the interests of the church. And it goes on for a whole nother big old paragraph. Now, I want you to know, I love our deacons. We've got great deacons in our church, and we are buddies, and we are tight, and we are connected, and that's a blessing. And that doesn't happen at every church, but we got it here, and we, we maintain that, and we keep that. So we work together in that. Now, this word deacon is used over a hundred times in the New Testament. Most of the time, it's not about an office. It's about service, okay? Do you remember the famous verse, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, for the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve, okay? That's the word, diakonos. He did not come to be deaconed, he came to deacon. Now, does that mean Jesus is a deacon underneath the elder of the church? Absolutely not. It means that there's a verb of service that's happening with that. Think about um, Paul calls himself, actually, he says that he's a servant of Christ as well. In um, uh, Ephesians 3, 7, Timothy, it says, if you point these things out to these people, you'll be a servant of Christ in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. But he's also the pastor of the church. So there's a verb aspect that all of us, me included, everybody, should be a servant of Christ. But there's some, and we'll see the characteristics in a minute, that he's going to title with that. Now, let's see where this goes here with the characteristics. And then I want to show you in the book of Acts where they are, where we get this from, okay, where this all started. Verse 8, deacons likewise should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding to the mystery of faith with clear conscience. They must first be tested. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, likewise, wives should be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be the husband of one wife, managing their children and managing their households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith of Christ. Now, servants of the Lord, volunteers, not staff members, lay people, serving, lay men serving Jesus in our church. That's a great, wonderful thing. Now, let me show you Acts chapter 6, okay? Acts chapter 6. If you got your Bible, turn there. If not, we'll put it on the screens. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, so the church is growing, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews, that's the Greek Jews, against the Hebraic Jews, that's the, the Israel Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So we got a little church fight going on. The 12 summoned the whole company of the disciples. Now, the 12 are the apostles that were chosen from the disciples. Disciples, men and women, chose 12 men to be the apostles. Summoned the whole company of the disciples and said it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God. Do you see, able to teach some eldership here? Not be right for us to give up the preaching of the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, so men and women, select from you among select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. So we just saw a list of things, and he's saying, I want wise, spirit-filled guys that are gonna be doing the right thing. Verse four. But we will devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. 
This proposal pleased the, whole, pleased the whole company, all the folks that were there. And then verse seven, and so the word of God spread after they uh, laid hands on them in verse six and commissioned them out. That's where most people feel like the beginning of deacons were. That's where it began. So these guys are preaching. They're doing all their things like, hey, we, we got to stay preaching, but we need the people that can help serve. So we're doing the spiritual bread and we want you to do the physical bread over here. So do you see it? Now, all of us are a part of the body of Christ. All of us are doing great things for the Lord. Now, here's what's so sweet about our history. Let me show you, this is a letter from the pastor of our church, James Level. And this letter, literally I hold in my hands, is a letter from the pastor of our church to a deacon in our church in 1929. This is almost 100 years old, okay? Now, I want to read this, and let's see if this sounds like what I just taught you, okay? And I'll, I'll bring a couple things up. Let's just see. We saw in the beginning in 1841, we had a group of men and women. We had an elder that was the pastor. We had a deacon that was, uh, A.P. Uh, Simpson, I think was his name in my notes here. Let me see. Yeah, S.P. Andrews. Sorry, not Simpson. S.P. Andrews. So we had a deacon, we had an elder, and we had a church, and we're off to the races. Let's listen to this. We'll put it on the screen. You can see it. It's a beautiful letter. February 20th, 1929, First Baptist Church, Houston. You can see it at the top. My dear brother, it gives me the deepest joy to inform you that the church, just like Acts 6, the church, at the last business session, elected you for ordination as a deacon of this church. No higher compliment on this earth can be paid to a layman, volunteer. I think this is next in its glory to the call of God in the heart of a man to proclaim the gospel of Christ, elder teaching. Do you see it? I therefore congratulate you and thank God for the virtues which you have displayed that has turned the heart of the church towards you for this sacred office, what we just read, these virtues. As pastor, let me assure you that I have joyfully I have joyful anticipation for the future as you faithfully yield yourself to the call of God and perform the duties unremittently, which are scripturally incumbent upon a deacon. God bless you and your help meet, we would say help mate, as she faithfully walks by your side, deacon's wife, and aids you in the life in which this duty entails. Is that amazing? Hundred-year-old letter. And what we're reading right here in the scriptures and what we're seeing in our very bylaws as a church, that's an amazing thing. He was born in 1899, and his lineage is still a part of our church, which is great. So we've talked about pastors, we've talked about deacons, now let's talk about everybody else. Everyone expresses Jesus by using their spiritual gifts and platforms to build the body of Christ. So Pastor, elder, bishop, teacher, all of that's going to express Jesus as teacher and leader. Deacons are going to express Jesus as servant because he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And then every one of us is in the church expresses Jesus as using our spiritual gifts and our platforms. Where has God placed you? What has God put in you? Where's your business? Where's your home? What's your neighborhood? Who's the family you're in? Where do you live? What do you do? God's put something in you so you can make a difference out there. We've got, you know, you put the, the ministerial staff and deacons together, we got hundreds, but we need thousands going out. We're way past the days of 16 people and one elder and one deacon, right? We're like, God, we need a lot of staff and we need a lot of folks that are going out. We need the whole church that's going out. So all of us 
are a part of this. Do you know that 90%, 92% to be exact, of the conversations Jesus had with people were outside the church? We have 132 contacts that Jesus had. Six were in the temple. Four were in the synagogue. So 10 out of 132. 122 were out in the marketplace in the, the throes of life. So God wants us out of the church. Now, I, I live here, okay? You're out all the time doing stuff. We need every person making a difference for Jesus. Every one of us is a servant. Every one of us is making a difference for Christ. Now, I'm gonna ask us four questions, but before we get there, let me show you a diagram I put into your, your, um, your notes here. And this diagram will give you basically all that we just read, all those qualities, and the ones in the purple circle are the ones for the elder or the pastors. Then the ones in the blue circle are the ones for the deacons. And the overlap is in the middle, okay? You see it? Because it can get real confusing with all these things. Now, does that mean that pastors can be double-tongued? No, that doesn't mean that. Does it mean that the deacons don't have to be above reproach? No, it doesn't mean that. It's just how it's listed out here. The characteristics and the character aspects, I should say, of how to have this and what this looks like in leadership. But the goal is for the leadership to be modeled to the people and the people rise up and walk in the ways of the Lord too, right? Paul said it like this, follow me as I follow Christ. It's not just, we're gonna just do this. We're all gonna be able to walk in some way, shape and form in these different things that are here, okay? So now I'm gonna ask us four questions. This is where it gets personal for us, okay? Four questions based on these things for you to receive this personally. This is for everybody. We're going to use deacon and elders in this, but we're going to use it for everybody. The first question is this, does my personal life re reflect Christ? Does your personal life reflect Christ? Verse four, verse five, or excuse me, verse two and three on this one. An overseer therefore must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle and not quarrelsome and not greedy, okay? Then you look at verse eight and nine. Deacons likewise should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, not hold, uh, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, a couple of these things I'll bring out. I could preach a sermon on every one of those things, obviously. But to be able to just give a couple out, first of all, there's a lot of confusion. Well, what does it mean to be a husband of one wife? Well, some folks believe that that's polygamy. That's probably not the thrust of what's happening there because that was pretty disapproved already, which was taking place. It means this, to be a one-woman man. So it's faithfulness in marriage, and it can be said also to not have divorce in your marriage. And so this is saying, I want this, this man to be faithful to his wife in marriage. I want him to be a husband of one wife. Then it says that they shouldn't be either one given to much drinking. Let me, just, let me just say this. Let's just talk about this for a minute while everybody gets nervous, okay? It's hard to make a total case for abstinence in the scriptures. In chapter five, verse 23, we're gonna end up in just a few weeks, we're gonna see that Timothy is actually told by Paul to have a little wine for your stomach. Now it's medicinal, not entertainment, okay? But we see that there is drinking throughout the scriptures. So when we see things here, well, what do we do with that? Well, I'll give you a thought in just a second. Here's what Proverbs 31, verse four and five says. It's not for kings to drink wine or rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Proverbs 20, verse one. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. Whoever's led astray by it is not wise. 
Ephesians chapter five, verse 18. Not, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. So we can easily say, we know drunkenness is wrong. And I think we get over here and what we do is we try to ask the wrong question. Is drinking right or wrong? I wanna ask you this, is it wise or unwise for you? Okay. And this don't drink as kings, I'm gonna say one thing about that. And then also I wanna say to the younger crew in the, in the, in the room, uh, especially if it's illegal, for sure I'm saying it to you. But even for the youngers, I wanna say this, here's the phrase I would wanna give you. The higher you go and the younger you are, the less alcohol needs to be a part of your life. The higher you go, the younger you are, the less alcohol needs to be a part of your life. Now we've asked our staff to not drink, We've asked our deacons to not drink and to abstain. I came from a whole lot of drinking. My testimony's got a lot of drunk in it. And I'm telling you, there's more bad than good that comes from it. Everybody's got a story in this room, everybody. If it hurts your walk, if it hurts your witness, you need to be very careful about that. If you're going to Jesus to take the edge off, that's good. You're going to wine every night to take the edge off, that's not good or if it hurts your witness, that's not good. Now you say it wouldn't bother you, but it would bother you if you walked into a Mexican restaurant and Kelly and I were sitting at the bar having our third margarita, it'd bother you. No, 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 it wouldn't pass, no, it wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, it would, it would. Nobody wants their pilot to be seen at the bar before he goes to the gate, okay? Nobody wants their brain surgeon to be over them saying, hey, how you feeling? I had a couple beers to so just kind of loosen up. You know, I feel like I do a better job. We know we don't perform at our best when this is a part of our life. So be really, really careful. And students, 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 you stay away. If you want to secure something that will keep you from going high, this will do it. This will do it. You stay away. No matter what anybody else thinks, you stay away. Number three, we see in this, so faithfulness in marriage, careful about drinking. Number three, the point I just want to bring out, remember last week where men are to have no anger or argument, and I said women get just as mad as men. So here it is, it's saying, look, don't be quarrelsome, don't be debative, don't be fighting. I love this quote, it's about executives being hired. Here's what it says. It says, many executives are hired based on experience, but fired based on personality. If you are quarrelsome and complainy, and you're a fighter, you need to get that right with Jesus because you're wrecking your life and you're wrecking other people's lives as well. I'm not saying don't stand up for what's right. I'm just saying, you know who you are. If you don't know, just ask somebody, they'll tell you. Yeah, you're that guy (laughs) or you're that gal. Number two, does my home life reflect Christ? So does my personal life reflect Christ? Number two, does my home life reflect Christ? Verse four, Uh, He must manage his household competently and have children that are under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of of God's church? So we talked about this a lot last week of the family of God and the family in the church and the family on planet earth of your family and the leadership in the home, the leadership in the church. So how does that reflect? Verse 11 and 12. Um, it talks about wives in verse 11, that they'd be worthy of, of respect and slant, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons, be the husband of one wife, managing your own children and their households competently. So does my home reflect Christ? Now, let me say this statement. Here's the parents I'm speaking to you. Time together leads to teaching received, okay? Time together leads to teaching received. If you want your kids to receive your teaching, spend a lot of time with them. 
But all of us know, somebody that pops in and out that starts telling us our business, we go, yeah, right. We just wait for them to leave. You spend a lot of time with them and you will get a lot of opportunities to speak into their life about teaching them in the right way. Let me give you three things you ought to be teaching your kids or teaching uh, in your home, teaching folks you love, whatever you want to take it. Number one, teach love for Jesus from the heart. Teach love from Jesus from the heart. Not just good church attendance, not just do the right thing. Love Jesus from your heart. That's the first thing. Number two, teach a solid core and soft edges. Solid core and soft edges. Here's what I mean. You have a backbone where that kid's going to stand and you got soft edges where that kid's kind and can welcome others and be ministering to them and be with different people that don't believe the same things and don't do the same things. But there's a firmness, there's a backbone, but there's some soft edges. You go to work out, they're going to work on your core. They're going to work on your core over and over and over. And everything's going to be based on that. And then you can extend out. So you get that core strong and then you have soft edges. Go against the flow, students, and be kind is what I'm trying to say. Number three, and finally, steward time, talent, and treasure. What are we trying to teach you students? We're trying to teach you to steward your time. Life's just gonna get more busy. Steward your talent. God's given you something great. And it's more than just what you do on the ball field. And then steward your treasure, what God gives you and blesses you with. And if you'll steward those things, then you'll be able to move in the ways of the Lord and God will really use you, okay? Parents, be careful about the talent one. We tend to go off the rails with our kids' talent. And people spend a gazillion dollars and have coaches and band people and whoever else, insert any, anything else, drama, whatever it is, we have them raise our children and then we find they're not interested in it when they get to college. Be careful. Have fun. Invest, but be careful. Time, talent, treasure. Number three out of four questions, does my spiritual life reflect Christ? Verse six and 10. Six. He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation of the devil, which is pride. Then verse 10, they must also be tested first. Talking about deacons, that was elders, now deacons. They must be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. How's your spiritual life? Are you spending time with the Lord? You remember a couple weeks ago, I had my great chairs where I had my quiet time each morning um, here up on stage. So are you spending time with God? Are you humbly surrendered? Or are you prideful in your life? Number four, our fourth question as we move along, I'm putting the gas pedal down. If I didn't have it already down, here we go. Does my public life reflect Christ? Verse seven, furthermore, he must have a good reputation. This is about the pastor, the elder, pastors, elder, uh, elders, a good reputation among the outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace in the devil's trap. Verse 13, for those who have served as deacons, well, as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Does your public life what would others say about you? Now, let me tell you what, you, you want us as a staff and as deacons, you want us to be able to make you proud when we go out. You don't want to be like, you go to First Baptist and then you say, yeah, and they go, man, that Greg guy's terrible. You like him? Yeah, well, he's nice on Sundays. Well, he's blah, 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 blah. The other day, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were serving at my, uh, one of my kids' schools and we were in the snack bar and we were, you know, I was, would you like a water? Would you like a Coke? And I was making popcorn. I was doing the whole thing at the snack bar at the sporting event. And so we're, it's me and Kelly and this other lady. And this other lady, we start talking in a slow time and she says, well, where, where did your kids go to school before they, they went to this high school? And, and so um, we said, well, First Baptist Academy. And she said, oh man, I've got, do you go to First Baptist Church also? She asked us, do you go to First Baptist Church? We're like, yeah, we do. We didn't say a word. We just stay quiet. 
You know, you know, I don't know what's about to happen, but I want to see the truth about what's about to happen. And she said, well, I got some friends to go to Houston's first, and man, they love Pastor Greg. <laughs> and I was like, you know, you don't know what's about to happen. I mean, I get crazy stuff, as you can imagine, okay? You don't know what's about to happen. So that was great. And then Kelly goes, do you know what his name is? And I'm smiling. She goes, no. And I said, well, I'm Pastor Greg. And I shook her hand. <laughs> And she was like, you know, at that, that point. <laughs> but I was encouraged at the reputation of our church, that my personal reputation in the city, the different things like that, that that was a blessing. That's what this is talking about. Does my public life, does your public life, do your friends tomorrow on Monday, are they going to think it's weird you were in church on Sunday? That's a problem, if so. And so to let that public life happen, that's important now. Let me answer some frequently asked questions, and we're going to be done in just a minute, okay? Here's some questions. People will ask this question. What's the difference in, like, the pastor and a life Bible study teacher's teaching? They're both teaching the Word of God. Guest speakers we have teach the Word of God. There's a difference in what would be called elder teaching, which is what I'm doing right now. I read you the bylaws that I've been commissioned. You've invited me to come. You've voted on me to be here, to be the pastor that would declare the leadership of the church, the theology of the church, and to be in an elder teaching role. We saw a lot about that last week as well. So I'm different than a guest speaker that steps up on this stage, okay? So if a guest speaker ever steps up here and says, hey, we're starting a new capital campaign, don't listen to him, Okay. And wait till, wait till I get back and see if that's really what's happening. But that's an elder teaching role that happens. And I want you to know, I take it very seriously. I got a lot of notes. I'm preparing hard for this because I take it very seriously. Now, life Bible study is not an elder teaching role. That's a peer. That's a volunteer in the church that is teaching. So we have women teachers in LBS, and we celebrate that. We love that. That's wonderful. That's great. We've got 150 life Bible study classes over four different times on four different campuses you can choose to go to. So if you don't like who's teaching, male or female, whatever, you're not getting something out of it, there's plenty. There's 149 other classes happening. And so it's different than elder teaching and peer teaching and Bible study teaching. Very important, both very, very important, but different than what we're talking about here. Does that make sense? Do you see that in the scriptures? You see that in our history? Okay, second question is people ask, well, what about women deacons? Let me give you a couple yeses, let me give you a couple no's. Give you the yeses first, and different churches go different places on this, and godly great churches just arrive different things. And really the question is, what's the role of the deacon is what the, the big question is. But here's the yes. Number one, the Greek word here that could be translated uh, as wives, is translated in, in the majority of the scriptures, is wives. That's a word that could also be used for woman. So it could be woman or it could be wives. The word there, the possessive pronoun there, is not found in the Greek. So it either says wives and keeps on going, or it says women and keeps on going. Okay, that word could be used in two different ways. Now, that's, that's a yes to it, okay? It uses likewise as a transition. Elder, likewise deacon, likewise wives is what the version says. And so it uses the same transition from deacons and elders. Um, last one. Or I gave it to you already, the Greek. And I'll give you a couple examples. Phoebe in Romans 16. It seems to be character traits is where I take it, but it does say that she is a deacon. Remember, the word deacon is used over 100 times to be a, just a servant. So there's godly good places 
that have deacons that are male and female. My friends in the African-American church, I've asked a couple of pastors about this. They're my buddies in town. And I called them up and said, hey, tell, explain to me how y'all do it. Here's how they do it in the African-American church. The deaconesses are the wives of the deacons. And they serve basically the women in the church that are in need in the church. So it's how they put it together. So that's how it goes. Now, let me give you a couple no's on this. One, no would be the flow of seems to be wives. It's sandwiched in between two deacon verses right there. So it seems to be wives. Another no is um, that it seems like there should have been a phrase that said, um, a wife of one husband. We got the husband of one wife, but we didn't get the wife of one husband. So that's a little bit different there as well. Um, I just typically, this is just me on the Bible as a whole, the translators of the scripture that brought it from the original languages to the English, I trust them. They're smarter than me. It's committees. It's big, you know, seminary that it does. So I lean towards the transitions, or excuse me, the translations of what we have here in English being true. Now, I want to dig deeper in the Greek. I want to understand more, but that's typically where I go on many, many different things. So here's the bottom line. It really depends on the church governance, okay? Is the deacons a service body that they just serve, or is the deacons, and this is what typically happens in Baptist churches, also have oversight responsibilities? Now, where we are, we don't have a group we call elders because our ministerial staff operates in that, and deacons have an overlap a bit of elder responsibilities in our church. And that's very typical for a Baptist church. So there's oversights of the budget. There's oversights of, of the buildings, of big initiatives. So Kynos, I took it to the staff. We prayed about it. We thought about it. It came out of my heart. Took it to the staff. We built it up. Then we took it to what's called the Deacon Administrative Committee. It's about 20 uh, deacons that are there. And then we, they thought it was a good idea and felt like it was part of their heart. Then we took it to the, to the church uh, deacon body as a whole. That's what we do with the budget as well. Then we take it to the entire church. So there's an oversight role. Therefore, we have male deacons in our church because it's a blend of elder and deacon, okay? Now, it basically, here's the bottom line, and we're gonna wrap it up. The bottom line of what you need in church governance is this. You need plurality of leadership and accountability, okay? You don't want one guy making all the decisions with no accountability. That's called a cult, okay, is what that's called, right? See also Jim Jones, Guyana, okay? You, you want plurality of leadership and you want accountability. Now, the way these all come together, churches call different things, different stuff. And some folks, you know, it's elders and deacons and the staff are kind of left out. And then some it's deacons and staff and elders are kind of not described as much. So it, it, all that stuff can work itself out. You want character, you want godliness, and you want to work that out that's there, okay? Now, last thing just so I can finish chapter three. Let's verse, read these verses together in verse 14. You'll notice on your listing, there are no blanks because I knew I would be out of time at this moment, okay? So I'm gonna preach to you as I read. Here we go. I write these things to you, all the things we just talked about, hoping to come to you soon. Paul wants to come. But if I should be delayed, I have written, why did he write it? So that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. It's been the last couple of weeks. What's God's household? Which is the church of the living God and the pillar and foundation of truth. So we are the family of God. Our God is alive. He's not an idol. And he is the pillar of foundation and truth. The temple of Diana in Ephesus had pillars, a hundred pillars all around it. He says, no, God is the pillar and the foundation of truth. Verse 16 
Certainly the mystery of godliness is great. This is an old hymn, one of the early hymns of the church. He was manifested in the flesh. Jesus came to earth. Vindicated in the spirit. This is my son by whom I am well pleased. The spirit descends upon him like a dove. Seen by angels. Think of all the angelic announcements announcing Christ at different places in his ministry and life. Preached among the nations. It went all around the world. Believed upon in the world. He's the savior of everyone. And taken up to glory in the ascension of Christ. And that's the early Christian hymn. So, from 1929, 1810 to today, we're trying as best as we can in our bylaws, in our history, in our application to stay true to this word. And my friend, that allows us to build a church that's got a strong foundation and lets God do his work. And he wants to use, last thing I'm gonna say, every one of us. First thing I said in the message, you don't need a title to make a difference for Jesus. We're all servants of the Lord. And let God use you right where he's placed you, however he's placed you. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, to be able to learn today, to understand more today. Father, these things have been preached on, debated on, talked about for literally thousands of years, but we come today, Father, and we thank you for what you've done in our church. What would the 16 people in 1841 think now? I think they'd be blown away. And I think you've blessed us because we have lifted your word higher than anything else. And so we pray, Father, you would use all of us, whether we have a role that's a specific role in the church or not, use all of us to make a difference. We need everybody. We love you, Lord. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.